Glad to be here. Man, so awesome to be uh, with you today. Uh, I'm not sure what, how to take it when the pastor calls and asks me to come and preach and then tells me, and I'm not going to be there. Um, but, but, you know, if you take that personal, you're in bad shape in, in preaching-wise. But I'm glad to be here. Thank you for your hospitality. I visit a lot of churches, preaching a lot of churches and a lot of different places, and uh, it's not that way everywhere. So thank you for many folks have come and spoke to me and welcomed me, and so we're glad to be here. Just a very quick snippet about First Priority and who we are and what we do, and then I'm going to get into the Word of God today and uh, preach to us about the Word today. But First Priority is a campus ministry. We do elementary, middle school, and high school campuses. Uh, again, my, my group does Morgan and Lawrence County. Casey Jones, uh, if you ever listen to 91.3 The Fix, he is the praising Cajun. If you ever hear that on the air, that's who that is. Uh, and the Lord called him uh, out of student ministry into a bigger student ministry. And he started six weeks ago, and he does, again, Madison, Limestone, and Lauderdale counties. So uh, if your kids are not involved in First Priority on your campus, they need to be. Um, what we do is we train students to be missionaries on what I believe is the greatest mission field in all the world, and that's a public school campus. Um, in just Morgan and Lawrence County, where my group is, we just finished our seventh year on the campus. Again, we're on 53 schools in those two counties. We've seen over 4,200 students come to know Christ on the public school campus in Morgan and Lawrence County. So that is, that's why we do what we do. By the way, that's why the church ought to do what the church does. Yeah, the purpose of us is not just to meet together. The purpose of us is to bring people to Jesus. That, that's why Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. It's our job to take the gospel to them. 82 or 87, 88% of all kids, kindergarten through 12th grade, you ready? Will never darken the doors of a local church. Now here's what that means. I spent 27 years as a children and students pastor full time. And in 2014, God called me to first priority full-time. And that statistic shook me from my very core. Here's why. 88% will never darken the doors of our church. So when we say, man, we have great worship, we have great preaching, we have great children's ministry, student ministry, facilities, missions, discipleship. Think about all the things that we say to get somebody to come and visit our church. The reality of it is 88% of all of those people will never come to experience what you and I got to experience this morning. So here's the challenge for us. So what do we do about that as the church? Do we say, if you'll come, we have all these things for you. Guys, listen, here's the thing. We can have church or we can go be the church. And God shook me and said, Larry, that's an awesome statistic, but what are you willing to do about it? I mean, I was in an incredible church. Listen, had over 300 students in my student ministry, 6th through the 12th grade. I mean, God was blessing. We were seeing kids saved left and right. But the challenge was we always tell our people, we always tell our students, our children, man, go and share your faith, but we never teach them how to do that. We never teach them how to go be a missionary, but we tell them, go be a missionary. And so God really challenged me, and I, and I left the local church. I had cancer 10 years ago. That was my health insurance. It was a steady paycheck. God says, man, I'm going to call you out of here in the wilderness. I'm going to take care of every need that you have. And I said, God, listen, that, that's my health insurance. Do you not understand that? You ever have those kind of conversations with God? 
Do, do you not understand that? That's my security. I have to go out and raise my support. If people don't give, if the body of Christ doesn't give to our ministry, I don't need... God, I don't like those odds. And God says, well, when your faith and your trust becomes in me, then you're ready to do what I've called you to do. And I left the local church and went to the campus ministry full-time, and God has blown the doors off of what we were doing. At that time, we were in 20 schools. Today, we're in 53, just three years later. And God's doing amazing things. Over 6,000 students a month attend our club meetings on the public school campus, coming one day a week before school to be taught and learned and challenged with the Word of God. Amazing. Even in America, that's amazing, my friend. So I ask you to pray for us. Now, with your area... Casey's going to be back at the red table after the service. If you have any questions on how you can become involved on a campus, maybe God's going to press on your heart to give to help us continue the ministry. Maybe you have kids in the schools and you say, hey, I want to find out how to get my kids involved in those schools. Whatever your questions are, we'll be at the red table afterwards, and you come back there, and uh, we'll, we'll give you all of, the, all of the information that you need, okay? Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2. I am reading this morning from the King James Version, so if yours is a little different, that may be why. Mark chapter 2, I want to ask you a question this morning. What is the mission of the church? As a believer in Jesus Christ in the last days, which I believe we are in the last days. In the last days, what are we to be about? What should we be doing as the church? Now listen, when I talk about the church, I'm not talking about just Harvest Point. I'm talking about the body of Christ. Sometimes we forget that. It's what we're doing and what we want to do and what we want to see God do in our church. But guys, listen, it's much bigger than your church and my church. It's the body of Christ. So in the last days, what are we to be about? What would God have us as believers have our sights and our passion and our heart set on? In Mark chapter 2, Jesus is the guest speaker that day in church. He's going to come, we're going to read through this passage, and I want to show you what he says we are to be about when we use this passage. Mark chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. If you're there, say amen. Amen. By the way, if you'll say amen, I'll preach twice as fast as if you don't. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's usually where my wife screams, amen. But stay, stay with me. Listen, I, I, don't, I want to give you something that you can take today that will transform your life spiritually if you'll allow it. God's given me a word for us today, but you have to be in a place to say, God, I want to receive what you have for me today. All right? Mark chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. Here's what it says. And again, he entered into Capernaum after some days. Now, I want you to watch this next line. It was noised that he was in the house. I love that phrase. It was noised that Jesus was in the house. In other words, when Jesus showed up in those days, there was a buzz on the street about it. There were people talking. They didn't just say, hey, come to my church because of what we have to offer. They said, hey, you got to come because Jesus is going to be there. Now, let me ask you this question. When was the last time you invited somebody to come to this church because Jesus was going to be here? You see, we invite for all kind of things. Man, we're, we're going to have hamburgers. <laughs> a Methodist is just a Baptist that missed it just a hair. We love to eat. Listen, think about all the things we say. Hey, come because we got all these things. 
But man, what would it be like if today this place was filled with people that were here, not for the preaching, not for the singing, not for anything else other than Jesus is going to be here. Guys, listen to me. If lives are changed and souls are saved in this place today, it's going to be because Jesus was here, not because Larry Franks was here. There was a buzz on the street that Jesus was going to be in the house. It was a stirring about the meeting that was about to take place. Now watch this. Verse 2. And straightway many were gathered together, insomuch that there was no room to receive them. No, not so much as about the door. And watch this. He preached what unto them? Say it again. He preached what unto them? Watch this. In that day... When Jesus was present, the people of God were present. When Jesus was going to be in the house, the people of God showed up. Where are we today? Man, you need to come. Well, well what's, what's happening? Who's preaching? Uh-oh, the preacher's going to be on vacation? Yeah, I don't need to come. Come on. What's happening that would make me need to go? Jesus is going to be here. But I want you to pay close attention. The last line of that verse is really important. If you're a person that marks in your Bibles, you need to mark this. Remember, Jesus is the guest pastor that day. Jesus is the one preaching that day. But I want you to notice what he preached. Look at the last line of verse 2. And he preached the word unto them. (laughs) Guys, listen. We got too many churches today preaching everything but the word. We got too many pastors that stand behind this sacred desk and preach what they think or what's going to draw a crowd or what the church down the street's doing instead of simply just preaching the word of God. Jesus gave the example. He didn't just stand and preach. He preached the word. He said, look, I'm not just going to tell you what I think. I'm going to tell you what the word of God says. Listen to me. Regardless of what comes from these pulpits, if you can't back it up with this book, you need to discard it. But Jesus says, no, I'm just going to preach the word. I'm going to let the word do its job. I'm not trying to draw a crowd. Guys, listen to me. You want to know how to fill this church up? When Jesus is present and lives are changed and souls are saved, you'll never have to worry about filling the church up. It happens on its own. When needs are being met and wounded and folks that are in chains of bondage come in, are set freed and leave freed, look, you don't have to beg them to come back. So Jesus said, hey, I'm just going to preach the word. I'm not going to preach what the Methodists think, the Baptists think, the Pentecostal think. Well, you know, that church down the street's doing this, and it seems to be working to get a lot of people, so maybe we ought to do that. No, what you ought to do is what God's called you to do. So Jesus preaches the word to them. Verse 3. And they come unto him, bringing one sick of palsy, which was born of four. And when they could not come nigh unto him for the press, in other words, it was so crowded they couldn't get in, watch what happens. They uncovered the roof where he was, and when they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of palsy lay. Now watch verse 5, very important right here. When Jesus saw their faith, watch this, when Jesus saw the faith of the four men 
that were bringing this man with palsy to Jesus, he said unto the sick of palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. Did you see that? Because of their faith. Now let me ask you this question. Can Jesus look at your faith and my faith today for those that we're praying for and say, Larry, because of your faith, those people are going to come to Christ. Because of your faith, those people are going to be healed. Guys, listen, I believe with all my heart, we don't see God do a lot of things in the church today because we don't believe he will. Oh, we're spiritual and we pray that he does. But deep down, we're saying, man, there ain't no way that's going to happen. These four men said, man, we understand Jesus. (laughs) This guy's only hope. But they didn't just pray that God would do something. They put legs to their prayers. See, sometimes it's not enough just to pray and say, God, do it. Sometimes God's going to use you and me to accomplish his will. And that's exactly what happened in this Situation. Now notice in verse 5 that God didn't say, Son, you're healed of your palsy. Now later we're going to see where God healed him of his palsy. But here's what he did say, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. Now watch this. Great truth right here. Most times what we think our greatest need is, is really not our greatest need at all. That's good right there. Sometimes what we think our greatest need is, is not our greatest need at all. You see, this man thought his greatest need was to be healed of his palsy. But Jesus said, no, no, no. Your greatest need is to be forgiven of your sins. I'm going to tell you something. There's a huge difference right there. A vast difference. He thought his need was one thing when Jesus said, no, that is a need you have. But your greatest need is to know me as Lord and Savior. I tell people all the time when they're serving with us, I'm full-time with our ministry, and I have a part-time secretary, and over 200 people serve with us every week on a school campus that are volunteers. It's just me full-time. People say all the time, well, how in the world do you do 53 campuses and, and see all of this stuff happen. I do it because there's just good people that believe we need the gospel in our schools. And they're willing to pay the price to make it happen. But I want you to notice, I tell them, them this all the time. Especially in our elementary schools. If you're not careful, God will grab your heart and your emotions and your compassion. And you'll try to meet the physical needs of people before you meet the spiritual needs of people. Watch this. Jesus, in this passage, gives the example of saying, we need to meet the spiritual need before we worry about the physical need. Guys, listen. Sometimes we have physical issues because of spiritual issues. And I don't know the case. The Bible really doesn't give us the situation here other than to say this was a man of palsy. I don't know if God was trying to get his attention. I do know when God addressed him, he addressed the spiritual before the physical. Know that people you're witnessing to and ministering to, listen, don't get so wrapped in physically and trying to meet that need that you forget their greatest need is to know Jesus. That's exactly what happened, (coughs) excuse me, in this passage. Look at verse 6. 
But there were a certain of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. <laughs> there were some church folks in there saying, I just don't know about this move of God now. I don't know if God can do that. Watch what happens. Verse 7. Why does this man thus speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God only? Now watch Jesus. And immediately, when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they so reasoned within themselves, he said unto them, Why reason ye these things in your heart? Whether it's easier to say to the sick of palsy, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Arise, take up thy bed and walk. Watch verse 10. But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. Let me tell you, he has that same power today. Verse 11, I say unto thee, arise. Oh, here comes his healing. Remember? Man man crippled with palsy. Jesus has already addressed his spiritual need. Now he comes back and he addresses his physical need. (coughs) Watch. I say unto thee, arise, take up thy bed, and go thy way into thine house. And immediately he arose. I guarantee you that happened. I mean, a man that had been crippled with palsy, and God heals him, he probably didn't have to say twice, get up and go. And immediately he arose, took up the bed, and went forth before them all. Watch. Insomuch that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we ain't never seen it that way before. That's not the way we do it in our church. Just slide yours in there wherever you want to put it. God heals him, and immediately he jumps up, and he goes. And he goes worshiping. Why? Because he knows that Jesus Christ and he alone has changed his life. You know what the problem with us church folk are many times? We've lost our get up and go. We've gotten over what Jesus has done for us. And here's a man that says, man, I'm going to get up and go. And immediately he arose, took up his bed, and went before them all. And everybody in the church said, man, I had never seen God do it that way before. Let me tell you something. My prayer every Sunday, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and any other night that I walk into the house of God is this. God, I want to leave this place saying I've never seen God do it that way before. I want it to be so fresh Every time that we gather together that we truly leave in awe of what God has done. Listen, not what we've done. God doesn't need us to accomplish his person. He allows us to be a part of it. But I want to leave saying I've never seen God do it that way before. I'm going to show you three characters this morning and then we'll be done very quickly. Three characters in the story. The first character I want us to look at is the paralyzed man. He represents you and I and all of our needs. How is that? You see, again... He didn't realize what his greatest need was that day. What did he think his greatest need was? To be healed of his palsy, right? What did the four men that carried him to Jesus think his greatest need was? To be healed of his palsy. Listen, I wonder if I were to go around the room today, and I'm not, so don't panic. If I were to go around the room today and say, hey, everybody stand up, (coughs) be as transparent as you can, and just share with us what your greatest need is, Let me tell you something, we would be amazed at what we would hear in this room. 
I mean, we would hear finances and marriage restored and maybe a physical healing or a job or a family relationship or a wayward child or a marriage. Look, we, we would hear all kinds of things. But again, I want to remind you, if you're here this morning under the sound of my voice and there's never been a time that you've asked Jesus Christ into your heart and into your life and asked him to save you and to forgive you of your sins and to be your Lord and Savior, no matter what you think your greatest need today is, your greatest need is to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That is your greatest need. So this paralyzed man represents you and I and our needs. I ask you one more time, what's your need today? What's your greatest need today? I believe right now God's speaking to you and saying, hey, here's your greatest need. It may be forgiveness. It may be to restore a relationship. It may be to accept him into your heart and life as Lord and Savior. You've never done that before. Listen, I don't care how many times you come to church. Hell's going to be full of church people. Have you ever accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Do you know like you know, like you've never known before? If you were to die today, you'd spend eternity with Jesus in heaven because there's been a time that you've asked him into your heart and life and to forgive you of your sins and to save you. Here's the second character I want us to look at, the four men. Now watch this. These four men represent our need to be useful. I want you to watch this. They represent the mission of the church. If I were to ask you today, what is the mission of the church, I wonder what you would say. I preached to a group of pastors several months ago. Nothing more intimidating as a pastor than preaching to a group of pastors. But I asked this question. I said, guys, what is the mission of the church? And I just allowed them to respond. And out of about 30 guys that were in that room, about 25 of them had a different answer. (laughs) And I'll be honest with you, it grieves my spirit. If we don't know where we're going, and we don't know what it takes to get there, we got a lot of wandering saints out there that have no idea what they're doing. And as a pastor and a leader of the flock, we better be making sure our people understand, listen... Here's the mission of the church. Write this down. Four words. Bringing people to Jesus. That's the mission of the church. That's what God has called you and I to do. By the way, you will never be corporately what we are not individually. A lot of times we say, our church loves to see people saved. Well, the only way that's true is if everybody in the church loves to see people saved too. So the mission of the church is bringing people to Jesus. So what does that mean, Larry? Here's what it means. Everything that we do in the church better be pointing towards and bringing people to Jesus. Think about activities and our schedules and our calendars and all the things that we ask our people to do, to give them their time, give them their resources, give all these things. Listen, please hear me. Your pastor may never invite me back, but I'm here today, bless God. But listen. All of those things are awesome to bring people to us. But guys, listen to me. We better be about bringing people to Jesus. And if we're only going to get so much time and so much resource and so much of an investment in you because you have 9,000 other things that you're trying to do, we better make sure as the body of Christ that everything we're doing is pointing people to Jesus. 
Look, there's a lot of great ministries. There, there's a ton of great ministries. My question is, do those ministries help accomplish the mission of the church, and that's bringing people to Jesus? If not, we got to cut them aside and start being intentional in making sure that what we're doing is bringing people to Jesus. That's our mission. That's our goal as a church, as the body of Christ. That's what we are to be about. So they represent the mission of the church, bringing people to Jesus. Now watch this. I want to show you four characteristics that these men have, that if you and I would take these and apply them to our lives personally, apply them to our church, apply them to our ministries, everything that we're involved in, we would see God do some things that there was no other way we could explain it, but just to say God did it. I want you to watch what these men did. Four characteristics. Here's number one. They were cooperative. I could preach right there for a long time. What would our churches be like if we cooperated together as the body of Christ? Now, I want to tell you something. These boys didn't run down to Walmart and get a good sturdy cot and say, hey, I've got a plan. Let's throw this guy on and we'll get him to Jesus. See, they had two sticks and a piece of cloth and some rope. Now, I don't know if you've ever tried to carry somebody on one of those things. But there's no possible way that one person can do that. You can put him on there, but you go to pick up your end of the cot, and guess what happens? He's off. Well, what if you have two people that say, hey, I'll, I'll get one side and you get one side. Guess what? He doesn't make it. By the way, not even three people could have done what needed to be accomplished to get this man to Jesus. It took all four of these men to get him to Jesus. Guys, when are we ever going to learn it takes all of us to get people to Jesus? It's not your pastor's job. Well, we pay him. That's what we pay him for. If I had a dollar for every time somebody said that to me, I'd be a rich man today. Let me tell you something. According to this book, which is our authority... This book says your pastor's job is to equip you to do the work of the ministry. Well, I don't like that. Well, you just take it up with the Lord. You don't have to take it up with your pastor, your church, or anybody else. Just read this book. You see, these men decided, hey, if we don't work together, if we don't work in unison, if we don't put what I think aside for the sake of the gospel, we're not going to accomplish what we're trying to accomplish. And so they worked together in unison for the common cause of getting this man to Jesus. Look at the second thing. They had incredible compassion for the one in need. Let me ask you this. What kind of compassion do you have for those that you know today need Jesus? Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a co-worker. Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's somebody that you've worked next to for 20 years. And you know that they'd split hell wide open today if the Lord was to come back. What kind of compassion do you have for that person to hear the gospel and respond and to meet Jesus? Now watch this. These men had seen this man time and time again. <laughs> they had empathy for him. In other words, you could look at the man and see that he had a need. How many times did these four men <coughs> walk by this guy 
and never do anything about the need that he had, that they could physically see that he had. At some point, their spirit went from empathy to compassion. Not only do I see he has a need, but now I'm willing to try to do something about it. Not only do you see your neighbor has a need, but what are you willing to do about it? You see, God may just wait, be waiting for you to step forward and say, Okay, God, I'm trusting you. I'm going in your spirit. I'm putting on the armor of God. And I'm going to attack hell with a water pistol. And I'm going to share my faith. At some point, they had compassion for the one in need. What kind of compassion do you have for those that God has put in your circle? Listen, let's forget about the world. Let's just talk about your circle of influence, where you live, where you are, where God already has you. What kind of compassion do you have for those that are in need that are right there in your circle of influence? Here's the third thing. They were creative. (laughs) I don't know about you. I've never been in a church service where somebody's ripped the roof off to get somebody to Jesus. I would think that's pretty stinking creative. Now watch this. My dad was a pastor. Had I come up with this idea, I wouldn't be standing in front of you today. Because my dad would have killed me. Watch this. Imagine coming to Harvest Point, Jesus is the guest speaker today, and the place is so full you can't get in. Here we've got compassion, we're working together, we're cooperating, we've got this guy all the way to the door, but we can't get in. You know what we we would do most times? Well, it's just not a good time. You want to get spiritual with it? Must not be the Lord's time for him to come to him. Let me tell you, it's always the Lord's time for lost people to come to him. One guy in that group, Scripture doesn't tell us this, but just, just use common sense today. Somebody in that group had to say, boys, I know this sounds crazy, but we got to get this guy to Jesus. We can't, he may not have tomorrow. You know there were people in that group that said, bro, this ain't a good idea. I mean, I, I love your faith and your compassion, but I don't know if I want to be a part of this. But somebody in the group had enough leadership and compassion and cooperative spirit to say, no, 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 we have to get this man to Jesus. And that's exactly what they did. They were extremely creative. And then here's the fourth thing. They had great faith verse 5 said it when jesus saw their faith he said unto the sick of palsy son thy sins be forgiven thee what kind of faith do we have to see our lost friends come to know christ our co-workers our family members our children our ball team our patients man just just throw it in there our co-workers Do you have any compassion at all and any understanding that if if God doesn't intervene in their life, they're headed for hell? Is God waiting on you today to say, you know what, I'm going to get out of my comfort zone and I'm going to make a difference for the kingdom. Here's the last character and I'm finished. 
It's the crowd of people. They represent our deepest need of the church. There were two, two groups of people there that day. There were the scribes that were hostile towards Jesus. And then there, were the, there was the other group of people. Listen, but they all had one thing in common. You ready? They had a need to be found by the Father. Let me ask you a question this morning. Why did you come to church today? Don't answer out loud. Why did you come to church today? Out of obligation? It's what we do on Sundays? I, I believe the Lord would be delighted if I came. Just think about that for a minute. Why did you come today? Is it out of obligation? Is it out of desire? May, listen, maybe you're here today and you say, you know what, I have no idea why I'm here. I didn't plan on coming, but God brought me here. Let me tell you something. Before the foundation of the world, God knew you'd be here today. Amen. You're not here by accident. You're not here by accident. You're here for God to speak into your life and to transform you. I've got two daughters, a 24-year-old and an 18-year-old. And I know you're saying, man, he's, he looks 25. How could that be? There you go. Listen, my wife was able to stay home with my 24-year-old for the first four or five years of her life. Huge blessing for us to be able to do that. Every day when I would leave work, as all good husbands do, perk up ladies right here, I would call my wife and say, hey, do you need anything? Is there anything I need to pick up? I'm fixing to come home. You're welcome, guys. And so she would tell my daughter, dad's on his way home. Now, my daughter and I had this game that we played. To me, even still today, one of the greatest games in all the world is a game of hide and seek. And so my wife would say, hey, dad's on his way home. Well, she would run and hide. Now, any of you who have small children know how this game works. She would run and hide. The problem is she would run and hide in the exact same place every single day. But as a great dad, <laughs> I would go through the entire house trying to find her, slamming doors, kicking bedposts. She's not in here. I don't know. Shaking everything that can be shook. The whole routine, every single day. She would love to hide under the comforter of our bed. I don't know if you've ever tried to hide under something like a sheet or a blanket, but it. You get, you get it. And I would walk in a room, still kicking, still shaking, still I don't know where she's at, and you would see that bed sheet just shaking. She's laughing, but she's trying her best to hold it in. And I would do the whole routine until the very end when I would grab that comforter and I would yank it back and act as surprised as I ever was to say, There she is! And she would jump up and give me the greatest hug in all the world. Listen, every single day. We did that for years. Many years after that, God used that little game in my life to give me a real truth that I can hang on to. Here it is. He said, Larry... She didn't have a need to play a game with you. 
She didn't have a need for you to go through the house and go through all of the motions to get to that final point. Watch this. He said her greatest need was to be found by her father. Can I tell you something today? Your greatest need is to be found by the father. Listen, some of you have quit on the father. Some of you have gotten mad at the church or somebody else. There used to be a time where you shared your faith and you shared the gospel and you had such a fire and excitement about the things of God in your life that you couldn't come up on somebody that you didn't want to share it and all of a sudden it's gone. You know what your need is today? Be found by the Father. I have great news for you today. He's here. Watch, and he knows right where you are. You say, man, I'm so far from God, he doesn't even know where I am. Let me tell you something. He sticks closer than a brother. The word of God says he'll never leave you or forsake you. Let me tell you where he is today. He is standing right there with you with arms stretched open wide to receive you unto himself. Now listen to me. If you don't get over your past, you'll never move forward with God. But what you did yesterday is gone. We can't change yesterday. But we can from this point moving forward. Which character are you in this story today? Are you the man, maybe not crippled with palsy, but crippled with sin? Maybe you're the man today that would say, you know what, there's never been a time in my life. Oh, I go to church, I do all the church things. And maybe you don't, and that's okay too. God loves you and died for you just the same. But maybe you're here today and through this story you've realized, you know what, I'm the man that needs to be brought to Jesus. I'm the lady that needs to be brought to Jesus. There's never been a time in my life that I've been brought to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and He's touched me and forgiven me of my sins and changed my life. So if that's you today, I'm going to challenge you here in just a moment to come and just get things right with the Lord. Man, ask Him to forgive you of your sins and come into your heart and to save you and change you. Maybe you're the four men who need to have a fresh fire and a fresh anointing and a fresh oil on your life and a fresh passion and compassion to say, you know what, i got to get back to bringing people to Jesus. i got to quit thinking what other people think. Are they going to like it? Is this the right way? Listen, let's just be about bringing people to Jesus. Let's let the Lord sort out the rest of it. And some of you used to have a passion to bring people to Jesus, but it's gone. And I pray that you're going to get on your face at this altar in just a moment and say, God, I'm sorry. I'm coming back home, and I want to leave this place today different than which I came. I want to leave this place saying, never seen God do it in my life that way before. So which are you? Do you need Jesus? Do you need to recommit your life to Jesus? Maybe you're here today and you say, man, I'm closer to God than I've ever been before. God's doing amazing things in my life. Listen, maybe you just need to come and get on your face and thank God for what he's doing in your life. I don't know where you are, but I know this. He does. You're, listen, you're not going to outrun him. 
you're not going to outsmart him. You're never going to have the peace you're looking for until you know peace. You've tried to fill your life with everything under the sun but the one who can truly fill the void in your life. And today, God's saying, come home. Come to me. All ye who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Whatever your need is today, he's here. Listen, and he can meet it. He's found you. So come to him. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that you would take your word this morning. God, thank you, first of all, for your word. And Lord, I pray that we would always be a people who desires to be challenged by the word of God. But God, this morning, I pray that you would help us to not just be hearers of your word, but doers also. God, for that man, that lady, that boy or girl maybe that is in this room today that would say, you know, God, I'm on that cot. And I'm coming to you today and asking you, Lord, to forgive me of my sins, to come into my heart and life and to save me and transform me. And God, I pray for those that are saved today that know if they were to die, they'd spend eternity with you in heaven. But God, maybe they're backslidden on you. Maybe they're at a place in their life, Lord, where they just need to recommit their their walk with you, their passion and compassion for lost people. God, I know you're already working in the lives of people in our midst today. Lord, I pray that you would have your will and your way in this time of invitation. And we'll thank you for what you're going to do in Jesus' name. Amen.